Happy Easter. That's it. Happy Easter. There you go. It's a good day. Uh, people always ask how many people that we have come to Pinheads, and it's one of the stupidest questions that I have to answer sometimes. So, John, if you'll take a head count right now, we'll just use this number for the whole year. If that's what they want to know, let them know, you know. It's like uh, I always say, uh, they ask, well, how many people come? And I'm like, I think if I sent out an email and said, there's something important we need to talk about, I need everybody to show up, there'd probably be about 300 people there. And, uh, well, Jesus is good enough to make you all come. That's, that's good enough. So uh, they're still bringing in chairs back there. So you may have to crank up the sound. I don't know. That, that's your deal, not mine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, never tell Big John what to do. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. We've been going through the Gospels, and uh, I think I don't have to derail what we've been doing to get to an Easter message. It's not that hard to tie the cross into the Scripture, right? Everything that Keith just talked about... Uh, is what we're setting up for. And so where we have left off in the story is this, is that Jesus just left his first Passover in Jerusalem with his disciples for the very first time. Now he's like getting out of there after he has already upset the tables, remember that, showed some of his anger, and now the Pharisees, these are the ones, the leaders of the Jews, they're kind of got the radar on for this Jesus. They've already got the radar on for John the Baptist because he's been baptizing and causing this commotion and everything else, and no one really knows what that's about. Is John the Baptist the Messiah? Is what, What's the deal? Is he Elijah returning? What's the deal? So there's all this commotion that's going on that's surrounding John and Jesus. And that's where we pick up today's story is in John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. That would be east of the Jordan River. It says, Where he spent time with them and baptized so now Jesus and the disciples are baptizing. Watch this. John was also baptizing in Anon near Solomon because there was a plenty of water there. John the Baptist is now baptizing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, not John the Baptist, because Jesus has now come, and he's across the Jordan River. Initially, he was baptizing under John the Baptist's ministry and his disciples. It says, because there was plenty of water there, people were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now that's a little statement right there that John makes that's kind of important. John hadn't yet been thrown into prison. Mark that. He says, then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. I just had this discussion a couple of weeks ago about purification with one of you. 
Yeah, don't be calling out names here in the front row. So, uh, what what is purification? Like that discussion has like gone all the way back to 30 A.D. What what is purification? You, I, I could camp out there, but I'm not going to. It says so they came to John and told him, Rabbi, they called John the Baptist Rabbi. The one you testified about and who is with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. Like, you came into this area, and you've been saying there's a Messiah that's coming, and now everybody's, like, going to him. The the radars are, like, going off the charts. John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it is given to him from heaven. In other words... Here's what they said, and here was John's response was, Look, you were the man, and now you're not the man. Like, he's getting more attention than you are. Doesn't that, like, bother you? And his simple response was, No one can receive a single thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Like, this isn't my deal. Everything that you've seen happen around me right here, right now, doesn't have anything to do with me. This is all a God thing, is what John's saying. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. John's saying, I'm not, you guys think that I might be the Messiah? I'm not, let's get this straight right now. I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. Watch this. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens to him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. Jesus being the groom. And who is the bride of Jesus? The church is. You are the bride of Jesus. And John the Baptist says, I'm just a friend of the groom. I'm not one of the brides. Like, Jesus hasn't died yet, right? The church didn't come until after Jesus died and all was forgiven. And that he, here comes the Easter message, and that he was buried and that he rose again on Easter Sunday. And now he is like sitting at the right hand of God and he sent this spirit that lives in us and this makes us the church. So John's just saying, I'm not part of the church, I'm just a friend of the groom. There's more to come, you guys. There's more to the story to come. He says, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens to him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. We hear that verse used out of context all the time. But John's ministry is not as important as Jesus' ministry. His is the real deal. Not that John's is not. Jesus is what it's all about. It says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks earthly terms. He's talking about he himself. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. 
He's like, I'm saying to you guys out here right now, like you're all are watching and you're listening and you're questioning and everything else, and you're not believing a word that he says. You're just still trying to sit here and evaluate whether Jesus is the real deal if he's actually the Messiah. How can he be the Messiah? He was born in Bethlehem. And then he grew up in Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. There's no way that he can be the Messiah. They don't believe a word that Jesus is saying, and John's just calling them out. He says, The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For God sent him, and he speaks God's word since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Like, you guys need to watch what he's doing. If you want to see what God the Father is doing, watch Jesus. Go across the Jordan River and watch that. He says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And then we jump to John chapter 4. Here's what happens. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus says, watch this, it says, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't baptize, his disciples were. In other words, people are watching the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, and they're associating what they do with Jesus. Like literally, they're saying Jesus did this, but it was his disciples that were doing it. I'm not trying to put pressure on you or anything, but our society watches what we do as believers, and it associates what we do as believers with Jesus our Savior. I'm just telling you. That's just a simple fact. That's not a pressure statement. I'm not telling you to go out and perform. I'm telling you to just be, although people will see. It says, he left Judea, and went again to Galilee. So he's down on the south part of Israel in Jerusalem. He makes his way to Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is at the north end of Israel. I'll show you that here in just a second. So he's passing from south to north. And in the meantime, something happens. Let's look at all four Gospels right here. It says, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making disciples... Oh, wait, wait, go to Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 19. It says... But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him about Herodias, his brother's wife, and about all the evil things Herod had done, added this to everything else. He locked John up in prison. Now you're sitting there like going, we just jumped from one thing to another. Well, in a chronological order, here's what happened. is John the Baptist is like literally stirring the waters over here across the Jordan River, and it's just causing a commotion and it's causing issues. And then Herod, who's basically in charge of the government, is being harassed, what he thinks, by, by John the Baptist because John the Baptist has called Herod out for marrying his brother's wife while his brother is still alive. And because of that, because of that, Herod goes and gets John the Baptist and he puts him in prison. This is, this is Jesus' friend, right? This is Jesus' friend. And he's been put in prison. 
In Matthew 4.12, it says, When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Like, he's still going north. This is all chronological. All four writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, coincide here. And they say Jesus is heading north to Galilee because that's where he feels safe to do ministry. It's like, if he goes down to Jerusalem, he stirs the waters. But if he goes up to Galilee, he's more received there says in mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 and john was arrested jesus went to galilee preaching the good news of god the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god has come near didn't say it's come he said it's come near repent and believe in the good news it's easter repent and believe in the good news the good news is that jesus has already come And then Luke 4, 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. Jesus now is like, it's on. It's like full-time ministry. People are flocking to Jesus. Who is this guy? Some are automatically believing that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one that's going to save him. But then there's another whole group. They're saying, no, there's no, way he, there's no way he possibly can be the Messiah. And then uh, we get to this story. And this story I want to focus on is in John chapter 4, verse 5. He's on his way to Galilee. And in between Jerusalem and Galilee, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Now watch this. This is crazy. I want to show you a map here real quick. I'll show you what I was talking about. I know in the back it's hard for you to see. But all right here, this is Israel. Up here... Sea of Galilee, that's where Jesus is going. Down here is Jerusalem, where he was. John the Baptist is over in this area, just just east of the Jordan River. East of the Jordan River, baptized, and then he got arrested. Jesus is making his way up to the Sea of Galilee, and he gets to Sychar right here. This is Jacob's well. Now zoom into this right here, and I want to. you can see it a little bit better. That's probably about 35 miles. 35 miles in donkey travel (laughs) walking that's what jesus did now zoom in a little bit more to sakar right here and jacob's well this next one now you're getting like really into it and you've got mount ebal right there mount zelman right there and mount gerizim right there you've got these three mounts and sakars right in the middle now watch this What you have to know is this, is that in Sychar, on this mount, and I'll show you this, uh, this is actual present-day Sychar. This is the Mount Jerusalem right there. That's it. There's actually a, a sacrifice, an altar that's built right here. You see that? This is, this is like today. It's still there. This altar is there. And what they did is they wanted to make this place, Sakar, a place of worship. And there's a reason for that. Watch this. They wanted their own temple. They wanted it so bad, they took Moses' law 
and they took the word Jerusalem out and they put Sakar in there. Like, actually, Mount Jerusalem they put in there. This is like where we're going to worship. We don't want to worship in Jerusalem. We're better than that. It's like church wars back in 30 AD. And there's a reason for that. Watch this. You go to Joshua chapter 8, 30, verse 30. It says, at that time, Joshua built an altar. That altar. An altar on a mount about to the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used. Then they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses. He copied the law of Moses. Which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. All Israel, foreigner and citizen alike, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on either side of the ark of the Lord's covenant, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. As Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded earlier, half of them were in front of Mount Jerizim and half in the front of Mount Ebal to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law and the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the little children, and the foreigners who with them. So, this place was special. And there were specific Jews that said, this is where we're going to make our place of worship. <laughs> In fact, ignore Jerusalem. Just ignore it. This is more important. This is the real deal. Can I enlighten you just a little bit? That place that you just saw right up there is in Palestinian territory. I don't know if that means anything to you, but currently that is Muslim-controlled. And they're saying, the temple's here, not there. Like, it's more important here than it is there. Now let's pick up the story. It says, And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well there in Sychar. And it was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. That's a big deal. If Jesus is a Jew, he worships in Jerusalem, he's coming to Samaria, they're saying, nope, our place is better. They don't coincide together. They don't get along. They don't get along, yet Jesus sits down at the well and he's talking with a Samaritan woman. And he says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water and he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone out into town to buy food. Uh, just a little side note, that's one of my favorite things about the disciples. They're young guys. And I know I got some uh, young guys that are sitting back there right now and all they're thinking about is chicken and waffles. These disciples did the exact same thing. They're constantly pulling on Jesus' robe. What about food? What about food? What about food? 
So Jesus sends them off to get food, and he's hanging out with this woman. And it's appropriate that Jesus sent them off. I think it's interesting that uh, they didn't approve of him hanging out with women alone. We even deal with that today in uh, our society uh, with Vice President Pence is dealing with that whole issue. But they didn't approve of Jesus hanging out with women, much less, more importantly, hanging out with a Samaritan woman. More emphasis on the Samaritan than on the woman. Verse 9, it says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God... And who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now you're sitting here in this room, and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and you know exactly what's going on. But this woman's sitting there, and she doesn't have a clue what he just said. What? Living water? I've never heard of such a thing. She says in verse 11, Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? Is he a salesman? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? She's sitting at Jacob's well, the one that Jacob blessed for that area. It says, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. This well is a big deal. There's not too many wells around here that are as big as this deal. And you say that you have living water. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. True. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. And then all of a sudden, this woman, who's got her bucket, And no telling how far she walked. She's thinking, she's she's automatically thinking, I come here about four times a day to get buckets of water. And I haul this off. If this guy is telling me that I don't have to do this anymore, I want to know what he's selling. And she says to him, sir... Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. I don't want to have to do this all the time. And then he says this. Go call your husband and come back here. And immediately, I'm sure that there was shame and guilt that came across the face of this woman. And she looks at him and she says, I don't have a husband. And in reply, he says to her, You have correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. Dramatic pause. She's sitting there like going, How in the world does he know I have five husbands? Like, you know, when you think about 30 million things in a matter of three seconds... That's what's going on in her head. How in the world did he know I have five husbands? 
He says, For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman said, The attitude changes right here. I, I can clearly see that you're a prophet. How, how else would he have known that I've had five husbands? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden that makes sense to you, right? Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And all Jesus is saying right there is he's quoting Psalm 76 where God says, My house is built in Zion. My house is built in Salem, which is another word for Jerusalem, Salem. That's where my house would be. So Jesus is just sitting here saying, God's already said that the house is in Jerusalem. You guys may think that it's here. He says, but an hour is coming and and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, it isn't going to matter where you go to worship. Because the Spirit's going to be hanging out with you, and you're going to be worshiping 24-7. I love what Ron and all these guys do here before we start, but that is not worship. That is worship, but it's not just worship. Like, literally, me just standing here and breathing is worship. Because I'm hanging out with the King of Kings the Lord of Lords, the Savior, the Messiah. He's literally with me 24-7. It doesn't matter if I'm standing here teaching. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting at home watching Netflix. He's hanging out with me 24-7. It's worship. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Like, she still doesn't understand and get it. And Jesus says to her, I'm he. Hello. It's me. The one speaking to you and the one that you just mentioned. Totally overhead. And then here comes the boys with the food. They got they're packing groceries. They interrupt this moment, you know? Jesus is having this moment with this Samaritan woman and they come busting in. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left. It's probably probably an awkward moment for her at that point. She left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, come see a man who told me everything that I did. Like, five husbands, that's, 
that's a long time. She said, could this be the Messiah? This is the question that's being asked all over Israel. Could this man be the Messiah? And now she's like going, could this be the Messiah? They left town and made their way to him. Like she went and gathered up Samaritan men and said, hey, come check this out. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Let's eat. It's time to get our grub on. But he said, here we go again. I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to him, said to one, they're like, looking, was he packing something? Did he bring his lunch? You could just see, you could just see them and their wheels turning. He says, could someone have brought him something to eat? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Hey, guys, look, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. It's another reason the disciples were baptizing. He says, I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and have benefited from their labor. Jesus has just spoken to the disciples, and this is going to be the thread through these Gospels. Is that they're looking at him with eyes glazed over and didn't have a clue what he was saying. They'll remember it. They'll remember it, but it doesn't have any meaning to them at this point right now. Seriously, these guys are just thinking about food. That's all they're thinking about. But they've locked into what Jesus has said. It says, Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, which is what they originally did. She went in town. She goes, you wouldn't believe what happened, da-da-da-da-da. And they all believed, and they came and saw him. But now they're saying, not just because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Now watch this. This this is pretty awesome. I think it's pretty cool how through this whole story right here, we can see how her opinion of Jesus changed. Like if you go back to verse 9, how is it that you're a Jew? She just referred to him as one of those Jews. We don't associate with Jews. And then verse 11, 15, and 19, she called him, Sir, all of a sudden, there's a level of respect that jumped up. She went from calling a stinky old Jew to sir. And then in verse 19, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. Went from a Jew to sir to you're a prophet. And in verse 29, could this be the Messiah? She believed that he was the Messiah. The more, watch this, the more she hung out with Jesus, 
the more she realized who he actually was. And I close with this. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. And the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. And here's how we close out today's Easter service. If that's the case, that Jesus went to Samaria and they're like going, can't be Jews. And all of a sudden they realize that Jesus is a Jew and he, he's the Messiah. The word began to spread. They began to talk. He goes to Galilee. The news spread. They began to talk. Today as we close, I'd like for you to close the service. I'd really like to hear your acclamation about Jesus today. having chicken and waffles. <laughs>
Not to put pressure on you. That's all you got?
celebrate a risen Savior, the real deal, no question about it, that you have answered all the prophecy and that you continue to do that to this very day. It's amazing. So Lord, we trust you. We uh, go from this place. Some of us, uh, the family and friends, some of us are going to hang out here today and thank you for the food that we're uh, all going to eat no matter where. But uh, just that you've blessed us and uh, you took care, you're taking care of us just like you did your, your boys and disciples. Thanks for feeding us. Thanks for taking care of us. Thanks for just loving us as we are. Jesus, we love you and pray the same thing. Holy name. Yeah.